welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Father, this day for a mighty unction of your spirit, Lord. Lord, that would flow from my mouth to your people. I ask for every heart, Lord, to just lean into now to what you've got to say today. Holy Spirit, captivate every mind, every soul, every spirit here today. Lord, let there be nothing that distracts or takes away from what you want to do. I release in this place a spirit of wisdom, your spirit of wisdom. Holy Spirit, manifest yourself today. We ask in the name of Jesus. And I pray for every heart today that, Lord, you would do a work in their hearts today, Lord, that you would prepare them for what is about to take place in this city, I pray. Prepare us, Lord, for the battle that lies ahead in Jesus' name. Acts 12, developing a forerunner's heart for apostolic breakthrough. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. First man called by Jesus, first disciple killed. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. It was during the days of unleavened bread. And so when they arrested Peter, they put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Isn't that good to know? We've had people sick and all sorts of things. It's great to see Rosalie back at church after scaring people. She was in intensive care a week ago and she's bounced back. And it's great to know that when God's people have needs, that God's people begin to pray. There's great power in prayer. You may not see things change always physically, but the moment you begin to pray in faith, something shifts. So good to have you back, Rosalie. Verse 6, and when Herod was about to bring Peter out that night, so Herod's about to kill Peter. That night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. This whole chapter, Acts 12, is a chapter about apostolic breakthrough. This is, this is a pattern for us to look at for our city. What God does here is a picture of what he wants to do in our great city of Melbourne. How many people love this city? Okay, it's half. Okay, Some of you are longing to be like, go to Gold Coast to live. I don't know, but this is a great city. And in here, he's, God's got a passion for our city, and he's unlocking in these verses strategies for the church to take a city. Are you hearing me? We see that whenever the apostolics is about to be released, all hell breaks loose. The enemy doesn't want the church to get an understanding of the power it has to change a city. When the church understands that through its praise and its prayer, it can open the doors to a city, the enemy gets nervous. So it begins to react. But the church is in constant prayer. It says they pray. This word prayer is the word for prayer and worship. They worshipped and they prayed. And it says in verse 7, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And worship and prayer, I said a few weeks ago, is at the very center of, of the war. And it releases the angels to begin to move on our behalf. Today, as we worshiped and we decreed, the angels from heaven began to get involved in the destruction of the kingdom of darkness in our city, over our lives, over this church, all the attacks of the enemy. As we worship and pray, God gets involved. Are you hearing me? Yeah. The heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Psalms 115 verse 16. So that tells me that God does nothing on this earth except through you and I. And when we begin to worship and pray, God gets involved in our lives, our family, our church, our city. Are you hearing me? How does he do that? He sends his holy angels to begin to minister. They are ministers that minister to those who will inherit salvation. They begin to move among us. Do you know they're here right now? God has sent forth his angels. As God's people begin to worship, they get involved. They begin to shift atmospheres so Jesus can be seen for who he truly is. So he can be loved and adored and accepted. They come to open up the way for Jesus. When Jesus was born on earth, what happened? The angels came and they opened up the way. They opened the eyes of those that didn't know Jesus and they pointed people to Jesus. So when we worship and we pray, something begins to shift. You, my friends, are powerful people. And I don't know if we've fully got a, a grasp of how powerful we truly are. That when you worship and when you speak, something begins to shift in the realm of the spirit. I want you to say with me today, I am a powerful person. I have powerful words. When I speak, atmospheres change. When I speak, Jesus is seen. Amen? Hubba hubba. Where were we? Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord stood by and the light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his feet, off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie in his sandals. And he did. And he said, Put on your garment and follow me. And Peter went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was done was done by an angel and it was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, and when they went past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, and it opened to them by its own accord. There are some things that only God can open. We said that a few weeks ago, didn't we? There were three gates in ancient Jerusalem, and the prison was on the outer wall, and so Peter and, and the angel walked through one gate, two gates, and into the third gate, which is an iron gate, which opens up the whole realm into the city. And I said a few weeks ago that, that there are keys from God that open up gates in our city. They open up so Jesus can come in. And I, I, I shared with you that David had this, uh, the, it says in Isaiah chapter 22 of the key of David. And this key that David had, he says, you can, you'll open doors and no one will shut and you'll shut doors and no one can open and God gives the church incredible keys to open gates, to open realms of the spirit over our city. I've been reading this week, back in the 1920s, where there was a gate opened over this city of healing and deliverance. When Wigglesworth 
came into our city of Melbourne. Not some other city, our city. Did you hear that? This very city. I've read this week or last week about the amazing miracles. I was reading them to Karen. Can you believe these miracles happen? Miracles that like, unless you believe God, you say that could not possibly happen. There was gates that were open. And I shared with you a few weeks ago that the key of David, we understand about David, is he functioned as a priest, a prophet, and a king. And I spoke to you about devotional worship, prophetic worship, and apostolic worship, and how God is shifting the whole focus of worship in the church where it goes just beyond devotional, which there's a place for that, where we love Jesus and he loves us back. But it ascends on from uh, priestly to prophetic to an apostolic worship when God's people come together like a mighty army. And they know that when they begin to decree and speak, as we did today, gates begin to open by themselves. My friend, the city won't be won by our own might or our own power, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord. And as we come together and we begin to understand that we're not just some motley crew, but we are the army of the living God. And that when we speak and we decree together, gates will open that no man could open. There is not enough do-gooders. There's not enough placards. There's nothing we can do in the natural to shake and shift our city. You need to understand that right now there is an assignment from the enemy that is coming against the church in this city. And in fact, right across this nation. And it's hideous and it's dark. And we are in a battle. Are you hearing it? I, I'm, I'm seeing it right now in the spirit and in the natural where we are being forced to deny the very power of the word of God. We're, we're being forced to accept the culture of the day over the living word of God, where our values are being watered down, where Christians are beginning to say things that boggle my mind, that defy what we've been taught and understood for years, that go against all right doctrine. And so God's people begin to stand up and they say, this is our city. Jesus will be glorified. He will be loved rightly. His word shall stand. His truth shall stand. And as we decree that together, God opens up gates into the city. Are you hearing me? But, say with me, but. Verse 11, I continue to read. When Peter came to himself, he said, I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel. Well, there you go. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to work that out. And he has delivered me from the hand of Herod and all the expectation of the Jews. I need to slow down. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And there were, there were many gathered together praying. Oh, isn't that lovely? The church is praying. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate and a girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She didn't open the gate, but she ran in and she announced that Peter, Peter, he's here, he's here. You know, the guy that we've been praying for, for six days, he's here. Our prayers are answered. But they said to her, you're a nut. You're beside yourself. It can't be true. Our prayers couldn't be answered. I know we're praying for him, but we don't really expect him to turn up. She kept insisting, no, it's him, it's him. They said, it must be his angel. Now, Peter kept knocking just as well. 
And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. That tells me a whole lot about their prayers. They don't believe, they're astonished, and they're unmoved. I said a whole lot about the forerunner spirit two weeks ago, so I don't want to go back because I don't have time for that. But I asked myself, what happened to the church here that they could assemble and pray, but yet be filled with such doubt and miss the arrival of the apostolic? They prayed for revival. They prayed for a move of God, and it's right on their doorstep, and yet they can't see it. Rhoda's waiting for Peter, but where's the church? I think the church had an offended, bruised heart. They hadn't expected to get such resistance. They lost James. He was a pillar in the church. They hadn't expected that they were in such a battle. They didn't understand that, that by, by being part of the kingdom of God, they had enlisted in a savage war. And many of us have, have come into times of incredible battle and it's blindsiders. We didn't ex- Where did that come from? I didn't sign up for that. They lost James and now they've got Peter in prison, the leader of the gang. And they prayed one day, two days, three days, and now it's on the final night. And it looks like all hope is gone. And they're brokenhearted. They're offended at God. Well, it doesn't say that, but that's what I'm reading. Their heart's bruised. And now a classic example is they're spiritualizing now instead of looking for victories on earth. Maybe it's his angel. How many times do you hear people spiritualize things well you'll be healed when you get to heaven it'll all make sense when we get to heaven it's spiritualizing out of pain and offense no paradigm for seeing god move now on earth see our job is on earth our job is to change things on earth not in heaven on earth our realm is here and now and offense and brokenness and misunderstanding stops our heart from believing that God could move here and now. Maybe it's his angel. He's spiritualizing it. There's no faith to believe that. But it takes a lot of faith to believe that Peter, it's Peter. Are you seeing this with me, church? Many believers misinterpret difficult circumstances as rejection from God. There are demons assigned. You better believe it, my friend, against you, against me. And their sole purpose is to misinterpret the nature of God. So we will look at events and say, where was God? God doesn't care. If God was true, I wouldn't have gone through that and that and that. And there are a whole host of demons that are assigned to attack and assassinate the good nature of God. And you better understand that very quickly, my friend, as we get into this battle that lies ahead. That was good, Andrew. You're either shocked or stunned or asleep. Jesus said there will be tears sown in amongst the wheat. 
There will be misunderstandings about the nature of God sown in all the time into our hearts. And in Matthew 25, it says there will be three battles that rage at the end of the earth. The battle over intimacy, the ten virgins. Whether we will love God with all our heart and have a genuine, passionate relationship with Him, or whether we sit in a seat every week at church and go through some religious routine, mark off our diary, being at church, this will be the battle. Are you intimate with Jesus? Do you know Him? Or are you a pretender? The second battle will be the battle over the nature of God, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Is God good? Do we see God as a good God no matter what we go through in the natural? The third battle will be the battle over the compassion for the lost. Will we love people as Jesus loves them? He said, you know, as you've done it to the least, you do it to me. These are the battles that we'll face. Do we, do we, um, do we have an intimate relationship with him? Do we see him as he is? And do we see life as he sees life? See, the whole thing about... I was poor and naked, is not just about whether we will have a heart for the, the lost and the poor and the naked. It's about seeing life through Jesus' eyes, about interpreting all our environment through his eyes. And this is a battle that we'll face. And I want you to know today, no matter what you're going through, it may look hopeless, but it's not hopeless. You need to see it through God's eyes. Are you hearing me? Our heart is where the battle lies. And the devil will attack your heart. And I felt today that there are people here you've lost or, or your faith reach has been diminished because your heart has been bruised. You've gone through battles and wars and you've got scars and you've come through and you still love Jesus, but you come through with a limp. And it's like, I, I, I still love you. I still want, I'm still your child, but I've lost my ability to reach and believe. I prayed for someone and they died. I believed for a financial miracle and it went backwards. And you've redefined your view of God and his heart for you. You've got offended, broken heart. And that's the problem with the church here. They, they had lost their faith reach. And God was about to do a mighty thing in that city. God was about to break through in a powerful way. And it looked hopeless. But that's the story of the Bible. In fact, when Elijah's about to pray for the sacrifice, he pours more water on the sacrifice. Let me show you at the nth degree of hopelessness, God will just show himself to be greater. No matter how hopeless it seems, God will always come through. The devil attacks our heart because our heart is the most prized possession that God has. And he attacks our heart and he attacks our heart so we begin to have questions about the nature of God. And the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will get a higher view. Blessed are the pure in heart. And God, where there's offense in my heart, where, there's, where, where, where I've asked the wrong question, I begin to be cynical about you and your kingdom and your church and my life. Purify my heart so I begin to see you as I should see you. Broken hearts stop you seeing God as he truly is. Yeah. I wonder today if there are people here that have broken hearts, offended hearts. I served you for all those years and look what you gave me. It's very quiet here. <laughs> Hebrews 12 says, consider Jesus so you don't become weary and you lose heart. He goes on to say in verse 14 of Hebrews 12, live at peace with all men and be holy 
For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What does he mean? That word holy, whenever you read it, I tell you to put in the word wholeness. Be whole. Let your heart be whole because without that, you can't see God. Where there's bitterness and offense and anger towards God, you can't see. Peter's knocking on the door and the church can't hear the very prayer they've been praying for. And my, my, uh, my concern, my challenge is this, is that when the answer for your prayer comes, will you see it? Are you hearing me? When the cry of your heart arrives at your door, will you hear it? They cried for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years and he rocks up on the doorstep and they can't even see him when he's at their face. And when what you've prayed for for so long comes, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus says, when I come to the earth, will I really find faith? Will I find people who believe with all their heart like they believed yesterday, like they believed when they first got saved? Will they be filled with faith? You must not ask illegal questions that damage your heart. How could you have allowed this to happen, God? What have I done to deserve this? My friend, I've been in there. I've been through challenging times where I think, God, I'm serving you. I don't know what more to do. I would dance on my head. I would, I would sing Kumbaya. I've done everything I know how to do. I've given you my life. What more do you want from me? I've been there. But these are questions that damage our heart. Rather than asking questions like, God, what are you doing through this? What do you want me to see? And so many Christians begin to ask illegal questions that open up their hearts to offense, to bitterness, to confusion. And little by little, they, they lose their ability to believe. They lose their edge. And you see them come to church week after week after week. And what was a man or a woman on fire? Slowly they begin to lose their edge because they've allowed offense to come in towards God, towards others, and now they can't see. And they don't realize they're that close to their breakthrough. One of my favorite stories is Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, however you want to say it. And he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. And you know the story, he climbed up a tree. And it tells me that whenever I move from a fence and choose to get a higher view, I know this, that Jesus will meet me. You have a choice today when you're faced a fence, facing a fence or misunderstanding whether you will choose to get a higher view. Jesus, show me what it is that you're doing. See, Rhoda, she had that higher view. She had a heart that was listening to the Spirit. See, the problem is that so many of us allow our soulish reactions, our natural reactions to the pain, to the circumstances, to define who Jesus is, rather than stepping out of that into our spirit and saying, Jesus, give me a higher view about what is taking place in the natural. Are you seeing this? We, we ascertain... Uh, Everything from what we see, rather than stepping out of that into a realm called the Spirit and seeing what God is at work. That's what Rhoda did. She wasn't looking at the natural. She'd stepped into a new realm. So when Peter knocked on the door, she knew. She knew. God spoke to me out of Habakkuk this week. And uh, one of the great things growing up, there's some things that weren't great, but one of the great things in church was that most of our songs came out of Scripture. There was an era of Scripture in song. 
And so um, they were probably really boring tunes, but we began to memorize scripture. And so the great thing is that I'll be walking along and a scripture will come to my mind. And this scripture came to my mind out of Habakkuk chapter 3. And it says, though the fig tree does not blossom. And there was a song written to that. A great tune. But Habakkuk was in this same predicament where he, Habakkuk 1, he's pouring out his heart. And I love this about God. The scriptures relay the heart of man in his pain. He's saying, God, I pray to you. You don't answer. What's going on? You're deaf. And he's, he's, he's asking all the questions that lead to a broken heart. But he gets a higher view. He begins to see God at work. And at the very end, he, pray, he says this great phrase. He says, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no fruit on the vine. Now, I better make sure I remember it. Though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield, yield that food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Unfortunately, they finished the song there. Because the great part of this passage is, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me to walk on the high hills. What is he saying? Everything, everything. There's, see, the, no, no, no fruit. Nothing's going right. No produce, no reproduction with the foals. Everything's going wrong in the natural Yet I will rejoice. Why? Because he knows that as he does that, he can shift into a new realm called the realm of the spirit. He says he makes my feet like deer's feet. This ability to run through the mountains. Deer have this amazing ability. They know that nothing can catch them when they're up in the mountaintops. So they're flying through the mountaintops and the enemy can't get them. And he says, now I get a new view. I've got a view coming up from here. That's what Habakkuk began to realize. What I'm seeing in the natural is not the final story. I can arise and go up. And this is the heart of the forerunner that will not allow natural circumstances to cause offense to them because they know once that happens, they cannot see God at work. Are you hearing me? There will be multiple opportunities for offense coming up this year. Are you hearing me? You heard it here. And more, and more, and more, and more as the days come. And we as forerunners need to learn how to come out of the realm of the soul, up into the realm of the spirit, and hear what the spirit is saying about the circumstances we find ourselves in. Hmm. Very quickly, because I want to continue on this next week. This is what I believe Rhoda did in her heart to keep a heart free of offence. As I read this passage, I noticed that she appears to be outside the house when Peter calls. You read it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, Andrew, you're going to have to leave some things if you want to develop a right heart and a right view, if you just do what everyone else does, if you just live life, work, come home, watch TV, play with the kids, go to bed, if, if, that's, if that's your run of the mill, if that's what defines your life, you're always going to interpret the world 
through your soul. And I, I, I don't want to be negative, but I think that's where most of us find ourselves at times. Oh, we pray and we love God, but most of, our, most of the world is defined through our soul, not our spirit, through our own natural perspective. And she had to leave this and get into a different realm. You have to leave some things if you want to develop a right heart. So you ready for what I'm going to suggest? Preceding this chapter is chapter 10 and 11. That's a revelation, isn't it? And after chapter 12 is chapter 13. And there are two things that I see on either side. They're incredible significant events that take place. You've got the entry into the kingdom of God for the Gentiles by a man that's praying and fasting. And in chapter 13, you've got Paul and Barnabas sent on their first missionary journey to the nations. And they're sent out by the Holy Spirit as they pray and fast. Matthew 9, verse 14. I gave you the keys, by the way, just there. They said that John's disciples said to Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? We fast, the Pharisees fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said, how can they mourn while the bridegroom's here? They will fast when I'm taken away. I've never really understood a whole lot about that. Maybe I'm slower than you, but I felt God say this week, one of the reasons Jesus said that was that while he was on earth, the disciples could touch him. They could see him. They knew his heart. They knew when he was, well, he was never upset with them, but he, they knew his demeanor. They knew when he was with them, loving them. They could feel that there was, he said, I love them to the end. There was never any doubt of his love and affection and his nearness to them. Would you agree? He says, while I'm here, they don't need to fast. But there'll come a day they will need to fast. Why? Because I won't be here. They won't be able to touch me, feel me, hear me in the natural. They'll have no way of connecting soul physically to me. They will need to connect at a spiritual level. They'll have no idea that I'm with them unless it's spirit to spirit. He says, then I'll fast. And one of the ways that we connect to the heart of Jesus and stop being offended, where we get his view, his love, so we can go through turmoil and be asleep in the boat. How could Jesus do that? Because he was connected spiritually. Our spirit is the one that defines reality. The Holy Spirit cries out in our spirit, Abba, Father. How can you be reassured in the times of challenges of his affection for you if you can't hear the voice of the Spirit? And that's what fasting does. Fasting suppresses the voice and the desires and the perspectives of the soul and the flesh and it opens up your spirit to hear and to feel and to experience. And I want to suggest to you very strongly that part of the forerunner heart that keeps the heart pure and clean in the midst, and I'm telling you, and I don't mean to be a prophet of doom, but 
even the Bible says there are darker days coming and greater days. Days of great glory and days of great misunderstanding. And for us to not just survive but thrive in this time, we need to be able to hear the way Father defines our heart. And one of the great ways we do that is through fasting. It opens our spirit to hear and to perceive. Well, I knew I'd get a big amen out of that point. The second way, and I'm going to unpack this more next week, is prayer. There is nothing, here's a statement, there is nothing so offensive to the natural mind as tongues. One Corinthians fourteen fourteen says, "If I pray with my tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful." And I don't know about you, but there's times that I've prayed in tongues, and it's incredibly offensive. I think, "What am I doing? Why am I wasting time? This sounds stupid." Has anyone else been like this? Just a few. Our natural language gives our soul a voice. And I want to suggest to you that your soul has had far too much to say. We speak all the time. And there's a place for that, like now. But so much of our prayer language is defined by our perspective of our circumstances. And the Bible shows that tongues give our reborn spirit a chance to articulate the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, Whoever speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. But in the Spirit, he begins to speak the mysteries of heaven. And I have no doubt that this girl, and in fact the church in Acts 10 and 11 and 13, they were men and women who fasted regularly and prayed over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Spirit to get his perspective. And I'm suggesting to you today very strongly, without a regular system of fasting, and this is not out of duty, but it's out of delight. It's out of connecting to the heart of the Father. Out of, unless we fast and pray in the Spirit, you will be offended. Should I say that again? Without fasting and praying in the Spirit, you will be defended. Why do you say that? Because your life will be your circumstances will be constantly defined by your natural soul. And there will be things that cannot be understood unless you get a new view. Almost finished. Matthew 14, 22. Jesus, again, another favorite story of mine. Up on the mountain, praying. His disciples on the boat rowing. He can see them, they can't see him. Interesting, isn't it? He can see them struggling, they haven't any idea where he is. In fact, when he comes to them, they think he's a ghost. The natural realm will turn the things of God into things that are highly unattractive. And when it's Jesus coming towards you, you'll flee from him. The very thing he's brought to you for your salvation and redemption is the thing that you'll flee from. 
He could see them because he was a man of the spirit. They couldn't see him because they were people of the flesh. And when I operate out of revelation, I will recognize Father at work in every area of my life. And I want to stress you today as I close that this is a season to hear the perspective of the Father. To not allow our hearts to be bruised and battered. Because it's happened to me. I, I think as a young man growing up, believing for miracles, signs and wonders, reading and reading about Wigglesworth and all the great men and women, and somehow I'd allowed offence, misunderstanding, bitterness to come into my heart and shrink my faith reach. And it's sinister because you don't realise it's happened. It creeps up in you. And all of a sudden, somebody asks you to pray for the sick and you feel this thing rise up in you that says, no way, I don't want to do that. I'm angry because God doesn't heal people anymore. And I realise that I've got a wrong view. I've allowed offence to come in. It's like the church here. They're, they're praying. So the... the the disposition of my heart for God is real and to see his kingdom come. See, it's, it's heard out of my voice, but in my heart, I can't even see God at work and I'm not ready for God to work. And when I hear he's working, I disbelieve it. What if you've been like that? Too? Well, that's the story of your heart, whether you've lost your faith reach, whether you've allowed things to come in, people to hurt you, circumstances to define your true view of Jesus. Maybe it's time again to get the Gospels and read them again. And say, Jesus, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ. This is the plaque I got at my first sermon for my first church I planted. They gave me a plaque. And they didn't realize this is the church I, I, I was coming from to plant a church. They gave me a plaque to celebrate my, my going. They didn't know that I was preaching from Hebrews 13.8 from my first message. And when I got the plaque as a present, I opened it up and there it was. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. Then you begin to read the Gospels and you say, Jesus, I believe again. You said, Lord, that if we believed in you, the works that we've seen you do, we would do also and greater than these. Because you said you go to the Father. Lord, where I've disbelieved that, I repent, heal my heart, heal the offense and the brokenness of my heart and cause me to believe again like a little child. And then I begin to wait on him and I get a new view. I push away the soulish perspective that says, you know what, you prayed for people and I didn't get healed. I get a higher view. I begin to see God at work. He begins to show me what's going on, why that happened. The disciples at the bottom of the hill Pray for a man that's got a boy that's got epilepsy. They can't heal him. Jesus is up in the heaven, up in the mountain. He's in heaven. And he's loving on God and he's hearing, You are my son, whom I'm well pleased. He comes down and he has to cast that demon out because there's the church bound in its unbelief and pain. And he says to them, This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. There are demons and assignments and circumstances that you cannot get a right view on unless by prayer and fasting. See, it's not just about demons in people. 
It's about demons that create circumstances that you cannot define and understand unless you get a higher view. And I'm here to say that higher view only comes through prayer and fasting and coming out of the soul realm and getting a spiritual perspective. So don't go home and say, Andrew said I've got to fast three days a week. It's, it, it's not about law. It's about saying, Jesus, help me to live out of the spirit. Listen to his voice. Now there's a clause at the end. If you have medical conditions, please consult your local doctor. But for most of us, that's not the problem. It's just that we've so long have lived out of the soul, we know no other way. And that's why Jesus said to me, Andrew, you've got to come out of that which is natural and routine and spend some time with me if you want to be a forerunner. Hear my voice, get my perspective, see what I'm doing. I almost had something facetious to say there to say they won't be clapping when they get their hunger pains. <laughs> you will actually. A number of years ago, I heard a guy preach, and it's always stuck with me. I don't know whether his sermon was that great, but this is what he said Whenever I'm hungry and I'm fasting, I remind myself these hunger pains in the natural are really a picture of how I feel in the spirit. I'm hungry, Lord, but I'm more hungry for you than my pain. And when you go through hunger, you just remind yourself, Lord, this hunger, I'm going to turn from the natural into the spirit. I'm going to lift myself out of just being so fleshly driven and getting perspectives in the natural. And I'm going to come up and get your view. And that's what God's going to do here. He's raising up apostolic forerunners in this church that see way beyond, see way beyond the natural, see things to come. They'll get new views. They will proclaim over the city the goodness of God when everything looks like it's not good. And Jesus is longing for the bride to announce the heart of the Father, that he's a good father. Because so much rubbish has gone out in the church and outside the church about the nature of God. And it's forerunners that recalibrate that, as we've seen today.